Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Somebody say this, or everybody say this with me. We're almost there. Come on, say it one more time. We're almost there. That's right, that's right. We started studying the Gospel of John the beginning of this year, and we're in chapter 19, which means we're almost there. We're almost there. There's 21 chapters in it. We're going to wrap this thing up here in the next two weeks and then be excited for what God launches us into next. But right now, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in John 19, John 19, and we're going to look at the story of, uh, of Jesus being um, uh, arrested and, uh, and then being, sent, well, being sentenced and then being uh, crucified and then ultimately uh, being laid to rest in the tomb. And so convicted for a crime he didn't commit. Convicted for a crime, he didn't commit. <clears throat> Amen when you get there. John 19. Amen. All right, special shout out to all the men in the room, those who have been blessed to be fathers. What a blessing it is. And all the men in the room as you get to, you get to lead and uh, you get to be godly examples for all the rest of us in the room. So thank you to, uh, to all the men who continue to shape and help direct in, way, in many ways here. Father God, would you bless your word as we, as, we, uh, as we listen, as we lean in, as we, as we seek to understand. God, we've heard the story so many times of you being uh, sentenced. We've heard the story so many times of what it looked like on the cross. We, we know the story of, the, of, be, of you being laid to rest in the tomb. So God, what is it you have for us to learn this morning as we seek to understand in Jesus' name? Amen. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered, gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priest and the other officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted. We have a law. And according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let, him, if you let this man go, you are not a friend to Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as a stone of pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. 
Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge, took, took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him. With him, two others, one on either side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, they divided them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, the, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine and vinegar was there. So they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be the special Sabbath. Because the, Jew, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to, to have the legs broken of the bodies and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it was given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. He testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as, an, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he took he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, 
the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was, it was, it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. For most of us, this is probably a very familiar story. We've probably heard this on a number of occasions. And you might even be thinking, well, Pastor Ray, this is not really a Father's Day sermon. Not what I was expecting to hear on Father's Day. And, and, and true, it's not. We're, we're just wanting to keep in our rhythm right now and working, working our way through the Gospel of John. But uh, I, wanna, I think there's a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of jewels for us to uncover in this passage. And so as, you, uh, as we look over and reflect on I hope that you gain something a little bit new this morning. The first thing we learned this morning is that Jesus was flogged, and when we think about being flogged, we, we have to recognize that uh, we, don't, we don't really, uh, in our culture today, we don't, we don't have a, an equivalent that we deal with, right? Like the punishment that, that Jesus was, uh, that, that, that was placed upon Jesus, we don't have the equivalent thereof. Matter of fact, uh, um, I, as I try to wrap my mind around it, what, what is the analogy? You know, like I remember when I was a kid and the first time I got that black eye and I was like, man, that, that was really, it happened. It happened. Some of y'all looked at me like, really? It did? It did. And my brother was mean when he did it too, but <laughs> that part's not true. It was just a joke. It wasn't my brother, but, but I remember when that happened, but, but I mean, that, it, it's, it, there's no, there's no parallel between kind of the, 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 um, the ways that we can think about uh, someone being beaten and the way in which Jesus had, and the thing in which Jesus had to endure. But uh, let me just put it this way. Jesus was beaten nearly to death. All right. So let's understand this. The punishment, the first punishment that Jesus was exposed to in this story is, is that he is beaten nearly to death, like literally on what would have been a last breath. Jesus is beaten to the inch, close to the inch of his life. And, and, and this is in preparation for what will ultimately be the punishment that he has to endure. The second thing we see in the story is that Jesus is not only beaten, but he's mocked. I'm not sure which one I would rather endure. Being beaten in a way that leaves me, that leaves me literally flesh and, and, and broken in my flesh, or being mocked, which might leave me broken in my spirit. If you, uh, if, if you follow me on social media, you'll know this week I posted a video that is kind of swirling around out there of a young boy who, um, who is a, a, an amazing violinist. Matter of fact, Scott, I don't know how you might be able to get him, but uh, using the power of social media, I think you should recruit him for our worship team a couple of Sundays. But uh, this young uh, nine or 10-year-old boy um, just will capture, if you go watch the video, he'll capture your heart as you watch him play his violin. But when they asked him, why did you start playing the violin? And he kind of said, well, it was my out because I was, I was bullied as a kid. And, uh, and he was bullied because he, he, was, he was recovering from cancer. And, uh, 
And the other kids did not know what to do with that other than to mock him. And the, the idea of, mo- of being mocked, the idea of, of, being, of being prodded, the idea of being the, 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 the heel of someone else's joke. I mean, Jesus had to endure this. Think about this for a second. Jesus had all the power in the world because of who he is. We get this, right? And Jesus had all the power in the world because of who he is. And yet he had to endure some of the lowliest things as a punishment that was not to be his, but that he would take for us. The mockery that is used as they wrap him in the, in, in the purple robe, you know, signifying royalty, hail the king of the Jews, and they spit and they slap away at the Messiah. Can I ask you for a minute? Have you ever had to endure something that wasn't due you? You didn't cause it, you didn't invite it, You just had to live with it. You had to take it unjustly, unfairly, didn't know where to turn. And I know for some people that might bring up some real raw emotions that are there. And all I want to say in in, in, in the beginning of this message this morning is that if you've ever been in that situation, please understand something. Our king did too. He did. The thing that might be a little bit different is our king had the power to stop those moments, but that would have been at our expense. And so he chose not to. Can you think about that for a second? Jesus knew the pain that he would endure. Jesus knew the the way in which his spirit would be mocked. Jesus knew the way he would be belittled and thought of and yet thought of us enough to choose not to turn away from that, to choose to take that on. Verse 6 is a verse that really jumps out of this as we read through the Scripture. It says that the chief priests and, uh, and, and, the, and their officials, those who were supporting them, led the chant, crucify him, crucify him. If I were to ask you today, where should you turn to learn about God or to, to find your way through Scripture, who should you turn to? Shortly, uh, you know, fairly close to the top of your list, I would hope, would be uh, some, some, some pastors or religious leaders, some people who are entrusted with the responsibility to handle the Word of God. Hopefully they would be some of the places you turn, not exclusively. You might have a good friend or you might be, have been raised up in a family where mom or dad or someone in the home would be also somebody who could be a spiritual parent to you. But, but in general, one of the places that we look for, uh, for, for, for care spiritually is to the church and to church leaders and pastors. So how ironic is it that here it is, the ones who are beginning the chant, that starts with a, just a whisper, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And it grows as people hear it and they begin to join in, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him. That the chant is beginning from those who have been entrusted with the responsibility to spiritually care for others. If you're like me, you, when you hear that, you get a little frustrated. You get a little, mm. bring it back to our 
day and age today in the news when you turn on and you look for what's going on in the world of religion more often than not you can if you look hard enough you can find someone out there telling us about something wrong that the big c church has done yes i'm not the only one who's noticed that right and and a lot of those things are grotesque and evil right come on somebody be with me these things are evil right you hear stories about people taking advantage of people. That's, that's wrong. You hear stories about people stealing money from the church. That, that's wrong. Right? You, you hear stories about people manipulating others. That's, that's wrong. And, and we can begin to see those things, and, and it can it, it build us some, some anger and some frustration and even resentment. And for a lot of people, they've turned away from the church, and they, they, they've thrown their hands over to God and said, forget you. I'm going out there because at least out there I know what's coming. And I just imagine if we could hear back, Jesus would say, I went out there on your behalf so you don't have to go out there no matter what is coming, right? The chant, crucify him, crucify him, as Jesus looked out, he knew who was saying it, and he knew who was going to say it, but he didn't dismiss the church. He turned around and said, I'm on this rock. I will build my church. Jesus came back for a purpose because he knew that the church had a, had a valid, a valid responsibility that they could live into, and yes, there were going to be moments where people are shouting, and, and let me just say this to you real quick. If you had been in the crowd, really? At times on our lives, shout, crucify him. Cru come on, somebody. During our lives, shout, crucify him, even though in our heads and our minds, we want to say, hug him and hold him and surrender to him and yield to him. But, but our actions say something else sometimes, don't they? Don't they sometimes? Sometimes the, 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 you know, the, sin in, the sin in our life becomes the thing that's most prominent in our life, isn't it? Am I the only one that's ever had a moment like this? I've driven behind some of y'all in the car. <laughs> or I've driven in front of some of y'all in the car. I don't want to minimize the, the shouts of crucify him, crucify him, but also want to help us personalize that shout. You see, the reality is you and I are now the, we're now the chief priests and the officials. We're the ones that have been entrusted with the good news of this. If you own one, if you've read one, if you picked one up, if you, if you understand anything that's in here, then you also understand that now you have that same responsibility, called by God to lead, called by God to govern, called by God to shepherd, called by God. Jesus took his disciples and he looked out to the ends of the earth and he said, as far as you can see, and then even further, to the ends of the earth, with the gospel. That was a charge that was given to them. That's a charge that's given to you and to me. But I think it's fair to say that at times we confuse that charge with the other things that occupy our time and our space and our life. And sometimes, just sometimes, what gets the best of us would be an echo from within that says, crucify him, crucify him. Why? What did Jesus ever do wrong? Well, Jesus, you claim to be. Well, Jesus actually only claimed to be that which he was, but we didn't understand that, and they didn't understand that. And there were times in my life still today that I don't understand that. And so when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, when he, when he, when he said that he had all, when, when, in saying that, he was claiming that he had all the power of God in him. He was saying that he was one with the Father, that, that triune thing, that three in one. I mean, that, 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 that will blow your mind in itself. But, but he claimed that from the very beginning, he 
was, and in the very end, he would be. I mean, this was Jesus' declaration. And so Jesus being put to death is a result of, of what they were saying was blasphemous claims, that you are saying something that nobody can say other than God. So either display the fact that you're God, or we're going to kill you. What they didn't understand was that by allowing them, by allowing them to kill him, he was displaying the fact that he was Come on, somebody, by allowing them to put him to death, he was doing that on our behalf. He did nothing wrong to deserve to be there, but he said, I'm going there for you, and I'm going there for you, and I'm going there for you, and yes, I'm God, and I'm displaying what only God can do. You don't believe me? Well, you go hang up there and see what changes as a result. No one could do what Jesus would have complete, what Jesus would complete that day. No one. So the greatest act of displaying that he was God was the act that everyone else thought was, was, was proof that he wasn't. But in reality, he put it all on display. This is what God would do for you. Pilate began to get his mind around this as he was sentencing Jesus. You notice that Pilate claims, that, hey, do you understand the power I have? And Jesus responds, you have nothing if my daddy didn't give it to you. Think about that for a minute. Happy Father's Day. You have nothing if my daddy didn't give it to you. I mean, it was literally Jesus, Jesus looking in the face of what would have been one of the most powerful men in, in that place. And Jesus saying, you're nothing without my father. Can you all look up here real quick? Every one of y'all, if your neighbor's asleep, wake them up and have them look up too. Check this out, check this out, check this out. You're nothing without my father. You have nothing without my father. It doesn't matter how much you have. You have nothing without him. There's so much truth in that. Please don't, please, please don't, uh, uh, um, Go out of here and, and only tell half of the story. Don't, don't go on social media and say, well, my pastor said I'm nothing. <laughs> no, you're something. You're a whole lot of something. And, uh, and Jesus has declared through Scripture that, you're, that you are, you're a lot. You're chosen. You're royal. You're priesthood. You're one of the family. You're promised to eternity. You're a lot. But it's all a result of who he is. It's all a result of who he is. And Jesus understood that himself, and Jesus was declaring that in that moment. And I believe, I do believe this, that Pilate, man, he began to scratch his head a little bit. It says that, oh, he was even more struck by it, like, wow, this guy really doesn't deserve what's about to happen to him. But it's about to happen to him. Are you determined to live in a way that doesn't send Jesus to the cross. It seemed like in the crowd there were some people who were pretty affixed on the fact that Jesus needed to die that day. Seems like in the crowd there were some people who were pretty set up on the fact that this was going to be the end, that somehow this would make the situation better. And now today, here we are 2,000 years later, and, and look, we can't take Jesus, we, can, we can't go back in time and rewind the clock and make it so Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Like, he needed to go to the cross, otherwise we don't have what we have today in terms of uh, access to God, in terms of freedom of life and grace from God. We don't have that if not Jesus on the cross, but, but we are called to live in a way forward that doesn't continue to point to the fact that Jesus had to go to the cross. 
right? In other words, you know, Paul says uh, we're, we're, we live in grace, but he says, does grace mean that we should go and sin abundantly? He says, oh, no, 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 don't get it confused. We don't go sin more because we have more grace. We understand our need for grace because of the sin in our life, but, but we, don't, we don't welcome sin in. We don't just say, hey, let's go and do it because, hey, I'm forgiven by God. I mean, that, I mean that's, that, that, that doesn't make sense. But unfortunately, at times, it governs. At times, we, we find ourselves weak. At times, we find ourselves giving in. At times, we find ourselves in a helpless place. And, 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 and Satan would have us believe that we're lost, but, but Jesus would have us understand that, that his life, death, and resurrection claimed a victory, and a victory that he continues to this day to pursue us with. Yes, Sin is still here. And yes, sin at times is rampant in our lives, but no, that doesn't mean sin wins the day. And no, that doesn't mean that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection didn't hold enough. It was all that we needed. I want to look toward the end of the story, and I want to pick up uh, in, verse, in verse 30. If you still have your Bibles open, turn back there with me. It says, when he received his drink, Jesus said these three words, it is finished. Come on, somebody, you see that? It is finished. And I, and I want you to understand all that Jesus was saying in that moment, and at least as much as we can understand it in this moment today. When Jesus says it is finished, he is commanding, he is, the, he is commanding the, the, the shift in time. Everything is changing because, yes, the, the, the prophecies were fulfilled in the moment in which Jesus was there and the moment in which Jesus was going to give up his life. But he's also speaking to the Father and he's saying, Daddy, I've done what you've asked me to do. I'm paying the price that they might have life. Remember, he prayed in John 17. He said he prayed that, 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 that all, all the believers in Christ would be one, just as he and the Father are one, because if they would be one, if they would be unified, then indeed it would validate what Jesus had done. It would explain to the world that Jesus' life meant something in that moment. And so when Jesus says it's finished, he bought, he paid for, he's looking back to the sin, he's looking down to the sins of the world, he's looking at the people who are in that moment who are still mocking him and gambling over whether they could take his undergarments home. He's looking at all those things, and he's saying, it's done! So when Jesus looks at you and me today, and he's declared that it's done, it's finished, why is it that we hang on to it still? Why is it that we still dabble in it? Why is it that we still turn back to it? Why isn't it that we look at these things and say, you know what? It's done. Jesus died for it. I don't, I don't belong in it. I don't belong to it. I'm not governed by it. Jesus declared on the cross that his work completed it. Man, sometimes it just seems to get a hold of us. And sometimes it just seems to still lead us. And sometimes it seems to turn our attention away. And all I wish, all I wish for us to hear today is God's voice commanding that new life would start because that old life is done. It's finished. If Jesus could audibly be heard in this room right now, and he would take a moment to speak to each one of us. What is it that he would command in you to be done? What is it that he would look at in you and say, no, 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 that's finished. 
I paid for that. Uh, that's over. I'm, we're done with that because I've done this. I hope you saw that. We're done with that because I've done this. Some of you were just tempted to start thinking about what he might say to somebody else. I don't know, take a moment and just sit on what he might say to you. What is it that you still yield to when in reality we're just pilot in that moment saying, do you understand the power I have? I'll hold on to all this. And Jesus said, you don't get it at all. It all belongs to my father. So stop clinging to it. Let it go. Stop running back to something that's not yours. Stop allowing something to govern you that's not meant to. When Jesus declares it's finished, he's talking about the prophecies that have spoken to the fact that he's coming. He's talking about the day and the age in which sin was having its reign. He's talking about the power that Satan had over life. He's talking about all those things culminated in three simple words. It is finished. It's finished. Daddy, I've done what you've asked me to do. It's finished. Daddy, I've, I, I, I've, I've taught what I need to teach. It's finished. Daddy, I've instructed what I need to instruct. It's complete. God, it is over. So what starts now? The next thing we pick up in the story is Joseph was going to take this great act of taking the body of Jesus and, and burying it into his own personal tomb. Joseph was doing what would have been appropriate for those within his custom of that day. It was a reason, it was a customary reason why they didn't want, want dead bodies hanging on crosses as they moved into the Passover. So understand that, G that Joseph was in part just kind of doing what would have been natural. But understand this, Jesus was going to take what was natural and use it in a very supernatural way. You pick up that other name that was in the back, back half of that story, it was Joseph. And who was with him? Come on, who was it? Nicodemus, come on, it's okay that you know the name, it's good. Nicodemus was the other guy in the story, and you remember the story of Nicodemus when he first came to meet Jesus in John chapter 3, right? Matter of fact, you probably heard the scripture, John 3, 16, at some point in your life. If you heard the scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that scripture, you remember that one? Come on, nod, come on, come on, come on, come on. I know we didn't turn the air on very cold today, but you ain't got to fall asleep, all right? So, so Jesus, uh, we, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus has this moment with Jesus where he sneaks out in the middle of the night and he wants to have this encounter with Jesus. He says, Jesus, 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 who are you, who are you, who are you? And Jesus says, tells him who he is. And he says, well, I got to be born again. What do you mean? Nah, mom's belly's not that big. And how does that all work out? You can go back and read that story in John chapter 3. We don't hear anything else about Nicodemus until we get here. So Nicodemus meets Jesus in the beginning of the story. And Nicodemus is a spiritual leader. He's someone who already knows he, he, he knows the historical relevance of, of who God is, the God of the Old Testament. He gets it. He sneaks out and he meets Jesus, has this encounter with Jesus, and then figure, oh, what do I do with that? We pick it up. The next time we see him here is at the end of Jesus' life, and, and here he is. He's coming again, and he's, now he's coming alongside of another guy who is secretly following Jesus. The story says that Joseph was, was a disciple of Jesus, though he was doing it in secret because he didn't want other people to begin to persecute him as a result. And Nicodemus, the other guy who snuck out in the middle of the night because he didn't want people to mock him for believing in Jesus, he, he, he comes up at the end of the story too. And the two of them together, they take the body of Jesus and they lay it to rest in a tomb that's never been used before. And there it is that Jesus, the door is closed. And, and it, to the world, it looks like it's finished. Get this. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. 
We understand more now today of what, what that meant. To the world, it looked like when the, when the tomb was closed that this story was finally over. But you and I both know what happens after the tomb is closed for a few days. We know what happens. We know if you don't know what happens, here's the good news. I'll let you in on the good news. What happens is pretty soon the tomb will be open. The body be re- will be resurrected. And, and what was once finished is now really just beginning. All right, so let me say that again. What was once finished is now really just beginning. So Jesus, in saying it is finished, the world looks upon it and says, finally, that story is over. The Jewish leaders are jumping up and down. Get rid of that fake Messiah. We're ready for our real one to come. They don't understand. The world didn't understand, but Jesus understood when he declared it. This was going to come to an end because he's going to make all things new as a result. Because in a couple of days, he's going to raise from the grave. And when he raises from the grave... What the world thought was over is really just beginning. Just beginning. John tells this story firsthand. He includes himself in the story when he says that, uh, that he, the one that Jesus loved, the disciple who Jesus loved, was, was running to the tomb. And, and, uh, and, 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 and Jesus, Jesus' death was more than just a sentencing. Watch this this morning. I hope, you, I hope you get some of this with me. I got three couple quick points for you to take home. The first thing I want to say, the first thing I want to kind of send us home with today is this. The chief priests and the officials, they all said, crucify him. Crucify him. Guilty. Get rid of him. Why? Why did they say that? Because what Jesus represented was not what they were looking for. The truth is, you and I have to wrestle with that same question who Jesus is, and what Jesus is asking of us, is it really what we're looking for? We're sitting here today because we're saying we want to be a part of this church thing. We want to do this God thing. We want to worship the Lord thing. We want to be in fellowship with one another. But what Jesus is really asking of us, is it what we're really looking for? The desire, the willingness to yield control of our life. Or do I want Jesus here while I'm in control of here. Jesus, just stay behind me and have my back, but I'm going to take care of the rest. I'm going to be in control. That was the struggle that, that, uh, that uh, the Jewish leaders were up against. And I ask us that same question. Do our lives cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, because what we're looking for is not who Jesus really was. What we want, what we're hoping will come from this is not who Jesus was. The second thing I want to ask us and and send us home with today is Jesus declared the power that all power belonged to God, and it was only God who could give it away. What power, what privilege, what grace do you sit under that you forget to thank the Father for? You notice I included three things there, power, privilege, and grace. You might be thinking to yourself, I don't have power. I don't have power. I don't have authority. You got privilege. I know that just by where you're sitting. And, I got, and you got grace. I know that because you haven't had to pay what's rightly due you because of this. What power, what privilege, and what grace are you enjoying that you're forgetting to turn to the Father and say thank you? 
The other day, uh, uh, just two days ago, my, my kids get finished, their school, finished school on Wednesday or Thursday, but it was on Friday, they, uh, they ran into my office and, you know, kind of like, like kids do, just kind of bring the storm with them. And, and whenever they run in, with, in my office with that big smile, I know they usually want something, you know, and so they came running and they were like, Dad! And then I waited and they were like, can I get $2 for the soda machine? And I was like, Sure. That's what a good father would do. I said, sure. So I pulled out $2, and then I realized it was $2 for each of them. <laughs> I rethought that whole having multiple kids thing, but it was too late. So, so I pulled out more dollars, pulled out more dollars and gave them to them, and they all ran out, of, ran out and they were on their way to the soda machine. I yelled back, hey, did y'all forget something? And you know what I was waiting for. Yeah. They ran back in and said, can I get $2 for mom, too? There you go. Not quite the way I thought it was going to go. But uh, at times we do forget to say thank you, don't we? We do forget to say, God, without you, I don't have any of this. Any of this. And, 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 and check this out. Check this out. That's not governed by the good or bad of the day. Please get this. That's not governed by the good or bad of the day. No matter how awful the day is, no matter how much you're going through, no matter how... My, my uh, Nathan, during worship, came over and he said, Dad, they just said the H word in that song. Because one of the songs, oh, not in the song, in the, uh, in the Apostles' Creed, and uh, descended into hell. And he was like, oh, Dad, <laughs> they said it. He got real dignified in that moment. I was like, son, I got to break this down to you. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I tried my best, and I was like, you know, talk to Pastor Scott after church. So... So, but at times, no, 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 matter, no matter how hard or how awful or how hellish a day might seem, my daddy has gifted us with this day. My daddy has given us more than is rightly due us and hasn't given us what is rightly due us today. So for anybody who's sitting in a spot where you're deeply hurt, you're wounded, you're frustrated, the world has let you down, just, just whatever that is that's going on, I, I don't, I don't you know, even, even suggest that I can completely understand it, but I can understand this. Our Father loved us enough that he gave us grace, and maybe part of that grace is the ability just to walk through that day you're in. And that day you're in, and that day you're in, but also to affix our eyes on the one who's given it to us, saying, God, I want to say thank you even though I'm in the midst of it right now. The last thing I want to send us home with this morning is when Jesus declared that it was finished, that declaration was more than his life on earth. It was more than I'm giving up my final breath. It's almost the same, the same words that he would usher, uh, that, that, he, that he would whisper into our hearts, into our minds, into our ears when we're in the midst of the struggles of life. He says, it's finished. It's finished. My work is complete. Yes, there will be stuff. Yes, the days ahead might lead to martyrdom. Please hear this. 
this was enough. It's enough. It's the only thing we can turn to. It's the only place where hope can be found. It is the only thing that can overcome sin. It is the only way out. It is the only way. It is the only form of, of permanent victory. It is finished. Jesus defeated it. He, had, he, he, is, he, he he's nailed it to the cross. He buried it in the grave. And when he resurrected, he didn't bring it with him. He took it down. And he came up to a place in which he said, I'm back with my father again, governing and reigning in the way that it all was intended from the beginning of days. Get this the same way that the father walked with Adam and Eve, Jesus, the spirit of God present and the father himself try only walk with you and with me. And we, the desire is still the same, to be in perfect unity with his people forever. And he has declared that the way there has been made possible. You don't have to do that. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to forge that. You don't have to go cut the field down in order to get there. Jesus has already blazed the path. You and I now get to walk in the grace of the words that Jesus declared. The victory is won. It is finished. Church, I got to ask you today, do you believe that he won the day? Because we pick it up in John 19, and it sure looks like a dark place. But do you believe that he won the day? Do you believe that his death was for a purpose, and the purpose was you? Do you believe that the words that we declare in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus descends into hell, defeating, defeating the power of death? resurrecting from the grave. Not do you have you heard it before, but do, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you own it? Do you live it? Do you embody it? Do you allow that to be the words that govern over the days ahead for you? Church, my prayer for you and for me is that Jesus would be more than a prayer of get me out of hell. That Jesus would be the answer to all of the struggles that you and I sit in. That Jesus would be the way forward when everything else, when nothing else makes sense. That Jesus would be the place where you would turn first and not last. That Jesus would be the only answer to the life that you and I are looking for. So Jesus, would you be our Lord? Jesus, would you be salvific? Jesus, would you defeat sin? Jesus, would you overcome the grave? Jesus, would you release us from the bondage of that which holds us? Jesus, would you be the place where we turn? Jesus, would you offer us hope? Jesus, would you allow us to understand privilege? Jesus, would you allow us to be uh, washed in, in, by your blood and covered by your grace? Jesus, would you govern our steps? Jesus, would you, would you invade our mind? Jesus, would you declare to the things that, that are inside of us that are declaring their own power? Would you declare, no, 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 no. They have no power except that which God our Father has given us. Jesus, would you help us to understand that, that at times we shout out, crucify him, when really what we need to be doing is begging and saying, Lord, forgive us. Lord, grace, grace, mercy. Would you allow us the freedom to walk fully and confidently in that which you have created us to be with the boldness to say, I've been made by God in the image of God and I'll bear that image for the world to see because I want them to know the God who's in me. Jesus, 
Would you win the day? Jesus, when you went to the grave, would you remember me? Jesus, when you stepped down into the depths of hell, would you defeat that which holds me? Jesus, when you resurrect, will you take me? Jesus, will you give me the ability to live fully and freely in you? Jesus, I need you. Father, Your willingness to say I love you, to endure the pain of being flogged, to endure the mockery by that which you have, by the people you've created, to endure rejection for which I'm guilty at times. Father. the greatest display of love we could ever ask for. Guilty as charged. You're king of the Jews. But it doesn't end there. The king of all those who would surrender and yield their life to you. Creator. Govern. Savior. Jew, for the Gentile, for those who were once lost and are now declaring that we're found. So God, invite us to the intimate places of the garden where we might walk with you. God, call us by name and call us out of the things that hold us because you said it's done. God, Allow us to truly see the image of who we are by understanding whose we are. Allow us to reflect that for others to know. God, more than anything today, please allow us to hear the words, I love you, that, that were embodied. You hung on that cross for us. Like Nicodemus sneaking off in the middle of the night, inquiring of who you are. I want to be found in the end of the story, faithfully present. Sure, I don't understand it all. Sure, I'm taking the body of my Savior and I'm laying it in a tomb, but I got to believe in faith and trust that that, that, that work was, was enough. Something is going to come from this. So God, allow us to be Nicodemus in chapter 3, inquiring. And Nicodemus in chapter 19, present. Present and yielding. God, even in times I don't understand, you're still God. And I still trust that. I pray that over each one of us. Pray that on behalf of our church and the Big C Church, that we would yield to the God who is the God we understand and the God we don't yet understand. The God who we know and the God who we're still seeking to know more of. You remain God in all those moments. So Lord, we worship you, we'll surrender to you, 
will seek to make you known. We pray in your name. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.